Now, before we get into the text, I, I want to shock you with something. Uh, you're going to see a picture in just a moment. This picture is going to uh, really blow your mind. And so I want to prepare you for this in advance. You might want to turn away. Uh, but Joyce, go ahead and show this picture. Well, now wait a minute. You guys aren't reacting to this. How come we're not reacting to this? You're what? Oh, you're used to it. I see. Would you react to this? Okay, because President Bush just said that that would be next year's prices here. And so I just wanted to let you guys know that. Um, You're used to it. You're used to $3 plus a gallon for gas. May I suggest that if I told you five, six years ago that gas would be $3.50 a gallon sometimes, may I suggest that you would not have believed it? We would not have believed it. I remember paying, uh, back in the late 90s, I remember consistently paying under a dollar, especially up in Huntington Beach. Uh, as a college student, I, we'd go up, we'd go out to the beach, and we'd stop at this one Arco station, and I'm telling you, the prices were great. I felt like it was free gas. And here we are, not even a decade later, less than that, and gas has tripled and even quadrupled in value. And now, you look at $3 a gallon, and you don't even react, because you're so accustomed to it. The title of my message today is too accustomed to Jesus. Too accustomed to Jesus. The point of Mark chapter 6, as we will see in just a moment, one of the points among many, is that the people to whom Jesus was speaking and preaching to, the very people who were recipients of His miracles or who had heard about His miracles elsewhere, these very people in his own hometown, the village of Nazareth, were too accustomed to him. They were too familiar with Jesus. They had grown up, they had seen him as a young boy. And now as a man, these stories about him, well, that, that can't be right. I remember the, the lad Jesus. And they be, began to become too familiar and too accustomed to Jesus. And as the saying goes, familiarity breeds contempt. Contempt. In our story in Mark today, we are going to see the danger, the danger of becoming too familiar with the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. And before we read it, I wanted to point out too where we are on the map. Take a look behind me. Uh, we, last week, we went from the east side of the Sea of Galilee to the north side of uh, the Sea of Galilee, to the town of Capernaum. And that was at the latter part of Mark chapter 5. And now, Jesus is traveling with His disciples southwest to His hometown, to Nazareth, to the place where Jesus grew up. That journey would have taken Him uh, a full day. Um, it's not incredibly far, but it would, have, it would have been a full day's walk at least, or maybe, maybe two, most likely just a day's walk. And he enters Nazareth, and we pick up the story in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. It says, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, 
Jesus began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Verse 4, But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now, he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Father, I ask that you would give us wisdom as we study your word today. I ask that your spirit would be upon this time. You'd help us to glean the truths of Your Word that are contained in this short story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 1. Then Jesus went out from there and came to His own country. And His disciples followed Him. And when the Sabbath had come, He began to teach in the synagogue. Jesus leaves Capernaum to the north of the Sea of Galilee. Travels southwest to Nazareth. His disciples are following Him. He goes to His home country. And on the Sabbath day, which, which, falls, uh, which comes around, the, the day of the week that the Jews set aside to worship God, as we set aside this day to worship God, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue in Nazareth. He began to teach in the synagogue that He attended when He was a boy. He began to teach in the synagogue where his parents, Mary and Joseph, brought their family to hear the reading of the Law and the Prophets, to hear Jewish leaders expound on the Scriptures, to hear Him preach, to hear Him teach, to go about the business of worship. And so when Jesus enters this synagogue to teach... Keep in mind, he's teaching to adults whose children have grown up with Jesus. He's teaching to his peers who have played with Jesus as a young boy, grown up with him in in education and in recreation and and just in the the day-to-day of life. He's teaching to elders, to seniors who... Maybe he changed his diaper. Ever thought of that? He's teaching to a community of people that know this man quite well. They're very familiar with him. They know exactly who he is. He's not walking in there and, and saying, Hi, I'm Jesus. Uh, let me introduce myself. They know who he is. Now, in order for Jesus to speak in this synagogue the ruler or the chief of the synagogue would have had to ask Him to speak. And so it's safe to assume that due to Jesus' popularity in the surrounding regions, 
that the ruler or chief of the synagogue in Nazareth had invited the man he knew, Jesus of Nazareth, to come and to preach and to teach in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Verse 2, the middle of verse 2, on, it, on down to verse 4. It says this, And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. What did Jesus teach that was so astounding? In some of your Bibles, you're going to notice a, what's called a cross-reference or a parallel. Right below chapter 6, you might see a parenthesis there. And, and what does it say in the parenthesis? Anybody? Matthew 13, what's the other one? Luke 4. Okay. That parenthesis in your Bible, if you have it, underneath your chapter heading, is what's called a parallel version. It basically tells you where that story is found elsewhere in the biblical account. However, however, while the Matthew 13 parallel is undisputable, indisputable, uh, is, it, the parallels are too, too vast, too many uh, to, to think that it would be a different story, the parallels between Matthew 13 and Mark 6 with Luke 4 are a little bit less so. A little bit less so. In fact, um, in, in the Bible that I regularly use, um, which is uh, the Nelson Study Bible. I know some of you have that Bible. If you read carefully through the Nelson Study Bible, you'll see different scholars disagreeing on whether Luke 4 is the same story as Mark 6. Okay? What I'm, what I'm trying to communicate here, very, very briefly as we go off on this rabbit trail for a moment, is that the story that we find in Luke 4 is not necessarily the story that we find in Mark 6. Scholars, biblical scholars are divided on this. And I would tend to think they are different visits to Nazareth. There are a variety of reasons for that. I'm not going to go into those reasons today. However, however, the reason I bring this up is that we can't be clear what Jesus is teaching here. Luke 4 says He was teaching in Isaiah 61. But Matthew 13 does not suggest what was taught. And it's not entirely clear that these are the same visits to Nazareth. On to the real point, the real issue at hand. Mark doesn't say what he taught. Mark doesn't say what he taught. You see, for the author of this Gospel, Mark, if he thought it was prudent of us to know what Jesus was teaching in that moment, he would have said it. He would have offered it. He would have said, and this is what he was teaching, and that's why they were astonished. But instead, Mark doesn't talk about what Jesus was teaching on. Instead, he focuses on something else. What does he focus on? He focuses exclusively on the reaction of the people of Nazareth to Jesus' teaching. The what of the teaching, if you will, is not Mark's concern. It is the reaction to the teaching that catches Mark's eye. And it should catch our eye. Mark writes that the people were astonished. The people were astonished. They were amazed. They were in awe. 
They heard Jesus teach. And in response, they asked themselves, where did this man get these things? That is to say, where did he garner such knowledge and revelation? And they pondered, what wisdom is this which is given to Jesus that such mighty works are performed by His hands? They had heard of works that He had done elsewhere. How is it that He's able to perform the miracles that are being reported about Him? Now these questions, these questions that we see in the text are natural. They're natural for anyone to consider when faced with the person of Jesus Christ. But what began as awe and wonder at the person and the teaching and the miraculous actions of Jesus Christ, what began with awe and wonder among the people developed and evolved into suspicion, skepticism. Nah, I know this guy. I grew up with this man. That couldn't be true of him. Some of the influential in Nazareth began to whisper. Some of the influential people of the community began to whisper and they, they began to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on. This is Jesus we're talking about. You know, the lad who used to play with the rest of the children. Is this not the carpenter? The son of Mary, brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, are not his sisters sitting right here in the synagogue with us right now as we speak? We know this man. We've watched him grow. In fact, we've, we've played a part in educating him and, and, and making him into the man he is today. And we certainly know he's, he isn't a miracle worker. He's a carpenter. He's not a prophet. And so the saying goes, familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. When we become too familiar with something or someone, uh, we begin to lose respect for it or for him or her. Um, you see it in the marriage relationship sometimes. A husband or a wife, perhaps both of them, they, they uh, well, same old, same old. You know, nothing new under the sun. I, I know this person so well, and, and there's just, there's not a spark anymore, maybe. Or, or, or there's nothing creative, there's nothing new. And, and, and in a marriage relationship, it can deteriorate because the people, they, they, they get bored with each other. They're so familiar with one another's shortcomings or weaknesses. And they get it leads to the breakdown of a marriage relationship. Familiarity can breed contempt. And it's happening here with the people of Jesus' own community. People who knew Him well. His teaching and His miracles that were reported of Him elsewhere that should have caused any community 
to respond with awe, wonder, and curiosity. And for a time, that was the response of the community in Nazareth. But in the end, it was met with cynicism and skepticism. Familiarity bred contempt. And Mark says at the end of verse 4, what does he say? He says, end of verse 3, he says, so they were offended at him. So they grew to, to despise him. They were offended at him. And I ask you, you the question simply today. Are you too familiar with Jesus? Are you too familiar with Him? Are you too accustomed to Jesus Christ that the awe and the wonder fades away when you read the Word of God? Too accustomed? Do we know Him too well? His teaching too well? His miracles too well? His life too well? That we brush aside any possibility that we could learn more or find out a little bit more about the person and work of Jesus Christ. I know uh, I've been here. I have a suspicion you've been here at times in your life. I know in my own life, periods uh, of my life uh, have been, you know, I've heard this story before. I remember specifically uh, a few times like in my college years going to a church somewhere and, and I'd, I'd, I'd always skim down the bulletin because I wanted to see what the pastor was preaching on. And if I knew the story well, I was always disappointed. Yeah. If I, I would skim down and I would see the, the text and I'd be like, man, I already know that text. I've already read that before. I already have all the answers of that one. I can't learn anything new there. I kid you not, that was my reaction at times. And I look back on those days and I'm shamed by that. Because I'll be honest with you, as a, as a, as a preacher now, I learn something new every time I read a text. I learn something new every time I, I approach the Word. Um, there is not a biblical story that I have down that I've uh, studied exhaustively and have all the answers to. I don't. And I hope you don't. Because when you do, there are going to be consequences with that attitude. There are going to, are going to come consequences with a too familiar attitude with Jesus or with the Word of God. You might recall what Jesus said earlier in Mark. Mark 4.25. Remember this? For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Read in context, which, which we're not able to do entirely today, what Jesus was saying back in Mark 4 is what little truth or knowledge or revelation we may have about the person of Jesus, that knowledge, that truth, that revelation will become meaningless. And it will diminish. And it will, it will eventually be lost if our attitude is not to seek and look for more. We will lose what little knowledge and truth and revelation we have of the person of Jesus Christ, of the nature of the Kingdom of God. We will lose that if our attitude is, I can't learn anything more from this. It will be taken from us. This verse isn't about salvation. This verse is about our understanding of Christ, of the Kingdom of God. 
And Jesus says, oh, be sensitive. Be sensitive to the Word. If you are seeking My truth, whoever has, whoever's looking for it, to him more will be given. Do not cultivate a been there, done that attitude when it comes to learning about the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, Jesus responds now. The people have responded with awe and wonder and now skepticism and cynicism. And now Jesus responds. Verse 4, He says, But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. In response to the cynicism of his countrymen, Jesus makes a very proverbial statement. He turns to the crowd and says, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now this statement was not only true, was not only true of the people of Nazareth who were treating their former resident with a great deal of dishonor and disrespect. But this statement was also true on a general level of the people of Israel before them. Since the days of the Exodus, on through the Judges, to the time of the monarchy, to the divining and the exile of the nation of Israel, the people of Israel often exhibited stubbornness and stiff hearts toward who? The prophets. The people who had come from their own bloodline. And now their hearts were hardened toward another prophet from their own bloodline. Only this prophet was the greatest of all the prophets, unfortunately for them. He was the Messiah, the Son of God. And so what what Jesus' statement here about Nazareth, about, about their rejection of the prophet who's come from their own bloodline, was a microcosm of the larger problem that Israel had had over the centuries that they neglected to listen to their own people, their own prophets, their own leaders and teachers, the representatives of God. I ask us the question. Here's a... Here's a, a, a I ask, does, does this relate? And I think it does. Do we embrace younger men and women of our church when they rise up to positions of leadership? Do we embrace them? The younger generations in particular. Or does our respect wane for them because, well, I knew that person when they were a child. No, I know, no, I remember, I remember when he was a teenager. I imagine, I know, I know, that it can be a little difficult for people to take seriously uh, someone whom they've changed their diaper. Uh, I can imagine that it would be difficult to respect someone and you look at them and think, I changed your diaper when you were a baby. But I'll tell you, as, 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 a, as a further application of Jesus' proverbial statement in verse 4, I think it applies. I think it applies. I think Jesus is is suggesting here that whether they're from our own bloodline, whether they're from our own community, whether you change their diaper, when, when, when God appoints people to positions of leadership in His church, in His community, they need to be honored and respected for that. 
They need to be honored and respected for that. It's incumbent upon us to not despise or disrespect those who rise up among the younger ranks to leadership, to teaching or preaching or leading a ministry. And may we not dishonor them, but may we show them respect that, that, that is proper, that is due them. Now, as a result of the people of Nazareth's response to Jesus, something significant happened. And here's where we're going to be concluding today. Verse 5, it says this, Now, Jesus could do no mighty work there in Nazareth, except that He laid His hands on a few sick people and healed them, and He marveled because of their unbelief. Then He went about the villages in a circuit teaching. It says, Jesus could do no mighty work there, except that He laid His hands on a few sick people and healed them. Now, if you recall last week's message, you remember that there's a, there's a tremendous relationship going on between faith in Christ and healing. Physical or spiritual healing. There's a tremendous relationship taking place between faith in Christ and healing, be it physical or spiritual. The healing last week of the bleeding woman. The healing of Jairus' daughter both in Mark 5, were done in cooperation with faith. The faith of the woman, the faith of Jairus. And Jesus responded by healing the affliction. Now, in our text today, Jesus says he, Mark says that Jesus could do no mighty work other than, than a few smaller kinds of healings, which are, which are no less significant. But Mark's point is to say that the lack of faith among the people of Nazareth contributed to the marginalization of God's power in the community. Now, to be clear, it's not accurate to say that the lack of faith was the cause that prevented Jesus from performing a mighty miracle. Let me say that again. It is not accurate to say that the lack of faith was the cause that prevented Jesus from performing a mighty miracle. Jesus is not prevented from doing anything. He could have performed a mighty work in spite of their lack of faith, which Jesus does elsewhere in the Gospels, in spite of faith. But when God looks upon someone or a group of people who lack faith, or worse, are defiant and belligerent toward His Son, doesn't it make sense that God would choose to withhold His power from places where He is not welcome? I think so. Make no mistake, God can heal anyone, anytime, regardless of their great faith or lack thereof. But it makes sense that God would withhold His power from places where He is not welcomed. Our story today, it began with awe and wonder emanating from the people of Nazareth. And now it ends with awe and wonder, but from someone else. Look at verse 6. And Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Jesus was surprised that his own countrymen, his own peers, the people he knew the most, would reject him, would be offended at him. He was marveling the fact that they, they found it too incredible that he could be a prophet of God. Does anything good? come out of Nazareth. 
Mark concludes by noting that Jesus left there and he went about on his circuit teaching. He, he continued his teaching ministry and he left Nazareth. What can we learn from this story here today? I have three things. And, and they're rather... They're, they're really divided themes here, but they all apply in the text. The first application today that we can garner is this. Do we have a been there, done that attitude when it comes to reading and learning about Jesus Christ? Such an attitude will ultimately lead to a diminishing knowledge of Christ in the kingdom of God. It will. You will lose maturity if that is your attitude. You will falter in your faith if that is your attitude. You, your faith will become weaker. It will diminish. May we never, ever have a been there, done that attitude when, when learning about the person of Christ. Two, do we show honor and respect? I'm going to call them homegrown leaders. To homegrown leaders of Coast Bible Church. Or do we take advantage of our familiarity with them as grounds for disrespect? Now, granted, we're a small church, and, uh, but, but, this, but we have a lot of homegrown leaders. We have ministry leaders who grew up here. Uh, we, have, we have people on staff who grew up here. Um, we have uh, people who have grown up in this church. How are we reacting to them? Are we reacting, oh, well, I, I know that person. I don't take them very seriously. Or do we honor them for the position that God has, has appointed them to? Three, God can heal people, as we saw, uh, as we've seen throughout Mark, whether the afflicted one has faith or not. But faith in Christ, more than anything else, is what most often prompts God's healing power. And in particular, it always prompts God's healing power when it comes to spiritual healing. Faith in Christ is what opens up God's healing power and gives us eternal salvation in a spiritual sense. But in the physical sense, it is what most often prompts God's healing touch. And so if you are afflicted, you are um, in need of healing. It's not what you say or do. It's not a prayer you make. It's your faith in Christ that, will, that is what most often prompts God's touch. Are we too accustomed to Jesus Christ? Are we too accustomed to Him that we fail to learn more about Him? To study Him as we should. To be excited and to be fervent about the Lord. Because, well, I've heard that so many times. May it never be. Let's close in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank You for Your fresh and precious Word. It is fresh and it is new every time we read it. Your mercies, Father, are new every morning. It does not get old to think about Your Son, Jesus Christ. To think about His sacrifice. To be reminded of that perspective, having that worldview in our hearts. It is that perspective that Your Spirit uses, Father, to mature us, to mold us into a person who is more conformed to Jesus. A person who sees with the eyes of Jesus. Father, may it never be that we become too familiar with Your Son. Show Him to us in fresh ways each day, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.